Good morning. I'm thankful for our worship team and leading us in worship this morning. Give them a hand. <clears throat> also thankful for Craig and Mike being back safely. And so, uh, today I wanted to start with a photo, and it's, I probably should have made it bigger. I don't know if you can read that or not. That's my Bible. And on it is a post-it note that says, I preach August 6th, why? Um, I put it there about a month ago when Craig asked me to preach this week. And no, I'm not wondering why he asked me to preach, although some of you might be asking that question. But um, our current sermon series is entitled, Why? And today we will continue this series with the question, Why Pray? If God is sovereign and in control, why pray? If God already knows everything, why pray? Why pray if God knows what I'm going to say before I say it? Why pray if God has already decided how he's going to act? So many prayers seem to go unanswered. So why pray? Have you ever had any of these thoughts or questions? I think many of us have. Richard Foster, in his book, Celebration of Discipline, says this, To pray is to change. Prayer is the central avenue God uses to transform us. If we are unwilling to change, we will abandon prayer as a noticeable characteristic of our lives. To pray is to change. Exactly what is prayer changing? Is it changing our situation or our circumstances? No. Prayer changes us. Through prayer, God transforms us. In his concluding remarks to the Philippian church, the Apostle Paul said, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I have learned the secret of being content. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Right before that, Paul spoke about prayer and that when he prays and makes his requests before God, he receives peace, the peace of God which transcends all understanding. In this passage, Paul didn't say that prayer had changed his circumstances. Paul said he changed. He learned to be content no matter his circumstances. To pray is to change. But sometimes it's hard to change, isn't it? And if we're honest with ourselves, sometimes we don't want to change. Remember Jonah's prayer to God after Jonah's enemies, the Ninevites, repented and turned from their evil ways? Jonah prayed an angry prayer and asked God to kill him because he was unwilling to change and have compassion on his enemies. And sometimes change comes through wrestling with God. Have you ever wrestled with God about something? What do you think of when I say wrestling with God? The correct answer, of course, is the story of Jacob wrestling with God all night until God stops holding back and knocks Jacob's hip out of socket. That's the correct answer. That's the Sunday school answer. But I have to be honest, when I think of wrestling, I think of wrestling. Do we have any wrestling fans out there? A few months ago, our Thursday night men's group took a bit of a tangent 
when we went around the table naming our favorite wrestler. I don't think we can do that here right now. There's too many of us, right? That would be a bad idea. So we can't do that right now. So at least I can tell you who my favorite wrestler is, okay? Dusty Rhodes, The American Dream, Stardust, The Midnight Rider, Virgil Riley Runnels, The Son of a Plumber. That's my favorite wrestler. But enough of that. Back to wrestling with God. In Genesis 18, God told Abraham that he had heard the outcry against the sins of Sodom and Gomorrah. Abraham was concerned not only for his nephew Lot who lived there, but also for the other righteous people who resided there. There's got to be other righteous people there, right? And asked God, will you destroy the righteous along with the wicked? And so let's pick up the conversation in Genesis 18, 24. What if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of 50 righteous people in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and wicked alike. Far be it from you. Will not the judge of all the earth do right? The Lord said, if I find 50 righteous people in the city of Sodom, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Then Abraham spoke up again. Now that I have been so bold as to speak to the Lord, though I am nothing but dust and ashes, what if the number of the righteous is five less than 50? Will you destroy the whole city for a lack of five people? If I find 45 there, he said, I will not destroy it. Once again, he spoke to him, what if only 40 are found there? He said, for the sake of 40, I will not do it. Then he said, may the Lord not be angry, but let me speak. What if only 30 can be found there? He answered, I will not do it if I find 30 there. Abraham said, now that I've been so bold as to speak to the Lord, what if only 20 can be found there? He said, for the sake of 20, I will not destroy it. Then he said, may the Lord not be angry, but let me speak just once more. What if only 10 can be found there? He answered, for the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. When the Lord had finished speaking with Abraham, he left and Abraham returned home. To pray is to change, but change doesn't always come easy. Sometimes change only comes with a bit of wrestling. God invited Abraham into that discussion. God had heard the reports of Sodom and Gomorrah's wickedness, but so had Abraham. But in his mind, there surely had to be good, righteous people there as well. And then Abraham did something that many of, many of us have done with God. He tried to bargain with God. But Abraham wasn't bargaining for himself or on his own behalf. No, he was bargaining with God on the behalf of others. That despite the infamous wickedness of Sodom and Gomorrah, there had to be, there just had to be a handful of righteous people to be found in those cities where his nephew Lot lived. As Abraham gradually lowered the number of righteous people to spare or forgive the city from destruction, Abraham's perspective slowly changed as he recognized the wicked, sinful state of those two cities. To pray to enter into dialogue with God is to open yourself up to change and allow yourself to be transformed by him. Have you ever tried bargaining with God? How's that gone for you? Sometimes we make our relationship with God transactional. You do this for me, and I'll do something for you. For instance, God, if you'll heal this person, or if you get me out of this jam, or if you'll fix this relationship, 
I'll start reading my Bible. I'll start going to church. I'll tithe. I'll serve you. Try making your relationship with your spouse transactional or your child or your parents. Make those relationships transactional and see how that goes. It won't work, and it certainly doesn't work with God. In what we call the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says this, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Now listen to how Eugene Peterson puts it in his paraphrase of the Bible, the message. Don't bargain with God. Be direct. Ask for what you need. This isn't a cat and mouse hide and seek game we're in. But what about unanswered prayers? How do we respond to prayers for good things? Things that we think, why wouldn't God be on board for this? Why wouldn't God want, even if God says no? Trusting that God has got this situation, that God has got us, even when we don't see supporting evidence. And consider this when you are thinking about your unanswered prayers. The Bible is full of unanswered prayers. Moses prayed to, the, to enter the Holy Land, but God said no. You may only look at it. Three times the Apostle Paul asked God to remove what he described as a thorn in his flesh. God's response, no. My grace is sufficient for you. And how about this one? Right after teaching his disciples how to pray, Jesus told them, if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. That's the threat of an unanswered prayer. The Old Testament Habakkuk, prophet Habakkuk, began his book of the Bible with a question for God. How long, O Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? And finally, Jesus, the Son of God, had an unanswered prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane, right before his arrest, torture, and crucifixion. My Father, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Not only is the Bible full of unanswered prayers, it's also full of answered prayers. People getting what they want, getting their heart's desire, but it all ending badly. The prodigal son who asked his father for his inheritance and ended up with nothing and pining for pig slop. Abraham trusted God to take care of him and gave his nephew Lot the option, it's time to part company, choose. If you take your herd and possessions and go left, I'll go right. Lot looked out and chose what he thought was better and headed in the direction of Sodom and Gomorrah. And how about King David and Bathsheba? Tim Keller cited an article by Cynthia Heimel. In that article, Ms. Heimel said that over the years she had known a number of people who were struggling actors and actresses, working in restaurants and punching tickets at theaters to pay their bills. And then they became famous. When they were struggling like all of us, they said, if only I could make it in the business, if only I had this or that, then I'd be happy. They were like so many other people, stressed, driven, easily upset. But when they actually got the fame that they had been longing for, Heimel said they became insufferable, unstable, angry, and manic. Not just arrogant, as you might expect, worse than that. They were now unhappier than they used to be. 
She was sorry for them. They had the thing that they had thought would make everything okay, and it didn't. Then Heimel added a statement that took Tim Keller's breath away. I think when God wants to play a really rotten practical joke on you, he grants you your deepest wish. If that last sentence rubs you the wrong way, this afternoon read Romans 1 starting in verse 18. I want to say one more thing about seemingly unanswered prayers. And this comes from a guy named Harry Emerson Fosdick. And he says this, and I'll put it up on the screen. God often grants the substance of our prayer, but not the form. God often grants the substance of our prayer, but not the form. And he tells this story to illustrate his point. Monica, the mother of St. Augustine, stayed up all night praying in a seaside chapel on the North African coast. She prayed that God would not let her son get on that ship, ship and set sail for Italy. She desperately wanted Augustine to become a Christian, and she thought the worst thing possible would be for her to lose her influence over him. If he was a hooligan and a ne'er-do-well under her roof and still far from God, who would he become in Italy, that majestic but debaucherous city filled with alluring temptations? And even while she passionately prayed for her son to remain at home, he sailed for Italy. But by the grace of God, in Italy, he met a man named Ambrose, who led him to Christ. St. Augustine became a Christian in the very place from which his mother's prayers would have kept him. God granted the substance of her prayer, but not the form. Monica thought that the only way her son Augustine would ever become a follower of Christ was through her and her influence. She thought that if he sailed to Italy, he would never find Jesus. But in actuality, that's where he became a follower of Jesus. So maybe Sting was referencing this story when he said, when he's saying, when you love somebody, set them free. What do we think? No? You think Sting knows the story? I don't think he does. So we'll move on. Y'all remember that song? I don't think you do. I'm going to sing it right now and refresh your memories. All right. Let's ask another question. Does prayer change anything? Does prayer have any impact on what actually comes to pass? And this is James 5, verse 13. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Does prayer change anything? Yes. The prayer of a righteous person is what? Powerful and effective. There was a man named Elkanah who had two wives. Penny and Hannah. The Bible says that Penny had sons and daughters, but Hannah had none. And Penny never let Hannah forget that she was barren and childless. She would taunt Hannah mercilessly until Hannah was in tears and could not eat. In her low lowest moment, Hannah prayed. She asked God to see her, and she asked God to see her pain. She asked God to give her a son. And she made a promise to God in that moment as well. 
If you give me a son, I will give him right back to you. God heard her prayer and gave her a son. She named him Samuel, and when he was only two or three years old, she left him in the company of the priest to serve in the house of the Lord. King Herod arrested the apostle James and had him executed. When the king saw how popular this made him, he had the apostle Peter arrested as well with the intention of executing him. While Peter was in prison awaiting execution, the church was earnestly praying for him. In response, God sent an angel who walked Peter straight out the front door of the prison. Peter thought he was dreaming. When he knocked on the door of the house where the church was gathered together, praying for him, a girl named Rhoda went to the door, heard Peter's voice, and in her excitement, forgot to open the door and instead ran back to tell the others. They didn't believe her and told her she was seeing a ghost. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Our, our prayers matter and can alter situations. So why pray? We pray to align our will with God's. One day Jesus' disciples asked him to teach them how to pray. Part of that prayer was this, your will be done, not mine, but your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your will be done in my life in this place. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, right before his arrest, Jesus prayed. This is Luke twenty-two forty-two. Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. Not my will, but yours be done. Heather and I moved to Ukraine in September 1999. In 2020, our oldest daughter, Maya, graduated from the Powell School of Excellence kitchen campus. We were homeschoolers. And was planning on attending college in the States. Our plan was to come back in April to the States for furlough and to help Maya get ready for college. Then COVID happened, Ukraine locked down, and we weren't able to leave until July. So we came back to the States with every intention of returning to Ukraine and continuing our ministry and life there. All four of us were unified in our desire to return to Ukraine. Even Maya, who would be left alone here in the States, wanted us to return so that she could go home to Ukraine for summers and holidays. During furlough, we were living over at Christian City, and most evenings, Heather and I would walk around Christian City and talk. For us, furloughs were always an opportunity to reevaluate our commitment to Ukraine. Should we return to Ukraine for another two or three years, or was God calling us to something new? But as I said, we were all firmly committed to returning, but we also felt a lack of peace. For months, we wrestled with God. What did those intense conversations with God and one another look like? It looked like pleasant walks around Christian City in the cool of the evening. Some nights we'd resolve that, yes, we were returning to Ukraine, even though we didn't have any peace about it. Other nights we would acknowledge that lack of peace and question whether our time in Ukraine was coming to an end. And on those nights we would feel peace, but also sadness. God was communicating his will to us, and we heard it, we understood it, but you know what? We didn't like it, not one bit. 
So the next night, we'd go on the same walk and have the same conversation and wrestle with God yet again. It took us a while for us to accept what we knew to be true. Our time in Ukraine was ending. We didn't understand why, but God was calling us back to the States. In the summer of 2022, we returned to Ukraine for a couple of months to say goodbye and to try to finish well. We sold our car, garage, and apartment. We boxed up stuff to send back to the States, mostly board games, and we gave away the rest. We visited with friends and churches and said goodbye to Birdyansk, the city that we had called home for almost 20 years. It was hard, but God knew what he was doing, and he knew what was coming. If we had returned to Ukraine like we wanted, we would have lasted just a few months before being told to evacuate. We would have left without properly saying goodbye. We would have left without packing up and getting home the things that were precious to us. We would have left without selling our apartment, garage, and car. We would not have been able to finish well. We didn't understand it in the moment, but God was giving us a gift. God knew war was coming to Ukraine. He knew our time was up, and he gave us the opportunity to say a proper goodbye. And he patiently and graciously allowed us to wrestle with him when we didn't understand why. Why pray? To pray is to change, to be transformed by God, to be able to say, not my will, but yours be done.